0: Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with you this day. Amen. This morning, we conclude the series that we've been in for the last month or so um, about being disciples. We've talked about disciples as followers of Jesus who listen to him, who learn from him, who follow where he wants us to go, who carry out the mission that he gives to us. And today, our message is live free. Disciples live in the freedom that we have from Jesus. We're looking this morning at our text from Galatians chapter 5. It was our first reading for today on this July 4th weekend, which in, in my lifetime f- has felt different, and probably yours as well, different from previous celebrations of this holiday. The way that normally the 4th of July goes is we have backyard barbecues and parties in, in different places, maybe you have gathered with family or friends before. When I was a kid, we used to gather up um, a whole bunch of family members. We had an extended family in, in southwest Ohio, and we would get together. And, and when I was, was real young, um, I remember my, my aunt and uncle hosting the, the gathering, and it would be um, at their house, which is in the, in the town of Ross, and they had a, a huge backyard, And we would have probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 people there. And we would gather around for dinner out on the patio and with picnic tables and wherever people could sit. And there would be volleyball to play. And we would go goof around in the woods. And there was just all kinds of things to do. This year, gatherings were limited. don't know if you got together with anybody or just a few people. And with the idea that we need to... You know, restrict people that we come in contact with. And a lot of communities canceled their events or, or turned their neighborhood or community, you know, fireworks display and, you know, oftentimes concerts and food trucks and different things turned that into maybe a drive through event or whatever. Beaches were closed, many things canceled. So a subdued celebration this year for the 4th of July. We ended up going to Morgan Hill, that's where Max's girlfriend's family lives, and so we spent uh, the afternoon and evening with them, just one other family. Um, The drive back from Morgan Hill, though, last night, we stayed till after dark, and we're driving back, and we're coming up 101, and on both sides of the freeway, there were explosions happening, and fireworks getting launched, and You know, at first, as we're driving toward them, we're thinking some community or some um, park or I I don't know who it is, but there's big fireworks in the distance. Um, And so maybe it was, you know, one of the community events that was happening. But as we were driving up and there were explosions on both sides and we could hear some and some felt like they were not far above the the car, we realized these these are coming from people's neighborhood parties or even backyards and these gatherings that are happening. And so even though it was subdued and different, in some ways it spread out the the fireworks so that they were visible kind of everywhere. Um, And so we still celebrated. We still remembered as a nation that freedom is declared. Freedom is declared to us. Words have power. In 1776, Thomas Jefferson penned some very important words for us as a nation. And John Hancock and 55 other people signed it on July 4th. When in the course of human events is how it starts. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Further down, Toward the bottom, not far above the signatures, these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. Those words that were signed really birthed what we, as people who live in the United States, know as our nation, our country. Powerful words that, that came to be. That, that started something that ended up as the United States. Spoken words have power too. Have you heard the words, I love you? Have you heard the words, I trust you? Or very important words, I forgive you. Those can be the most freeing words for us to hear. Lifting a burden of guilt, of shame, a, a, a debt that we feel we owe. Lifting that burden from our shoulders just through a spoken word. That word comes to us as believers in Jesus when Christ sets us free. We are declared free. In our gospel reading for today from John chapter 8, verse 36, So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the son sets us free. The absolution that we hear, that we receive is forgiveness from Jesus. Early in the service, we had a time of confession. And then I spoke some words, receive his grace. Your sins are forgiven. That that forgiveness isn't coming from me. I get to announce the word of the Lord that Jesus forgives our sins. I'm not not dispensing that forgiveness like I can can hold it back and control that. That's from the Lord. It's not from me. I'm not standing in between God and you. You can go directly to him. You don't need me as an intermediary. But in the context of corporate worship, for good order, it's given to one person to say. To announce the grace of Jesus, that He forgives your sin. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When He saw their faith, He said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus announced those same kinds of words announcing the forgiveness of sins, speaking it into reality. He said those words to a paralytic who was lowered down through a roof that had been torn back so that that man could get to Jesus. Lowered down on this mat. And the, the first thing Jesus said, the first major thing he said, your sins are forgiven. It, it caused a question to stir within the crowd. Who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus, showing that he had power, demonstrated that power by healing that paralytic. More important than healing his body was healing his soul through the forgiveness of sin, setting him free from his burden, from his sinfulness, forgiving him. The same thing was spoken to a woman who was at Jesus' feet, captured in in multiple gospels, but in Luke chapter 7, as she's there weeping on Jesus' feet, he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Those same words come to us. Your sins are forgiven. Those are powerful words. By his grace, through faith, unearned, unmerited, declared. We are forgiven people in Jesus through what he has done. But we understand this about about freedom. Freedom must be secured. There's the announcement and the, the words that are spoken. But that freedom must be secured. That freedom that is spoken, that freedom that is written must be, must be purchased. The price for freedom was paid. From the time of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 until our nation was truly birthed and born and independent was the Revolutionary War. Two days ago, the musical Hamilton was released on Disney+. Plus. I'm not sure how many people have seen it or watched it since it came out. We, we watched it Friday night. We saw it. Um, Paula and I took Gina last year to San Francisco to see it when it came through. And um, spectacular musical. Unbelievable, the, the storytelling and the, the way that it's done. It's, it's pretty amazing. But they, they share the, the time of the revolution. And Hamilton is the central piece of the story. They, they tell his involvement and, and his desire to take command and his interactions with George Washington, and it's all in the context of this war that was fought. The declaration had already been made, but there was a price that had to be paid. Soldiers died to win independence. Independence. People put their lives on the line. Fathers, sons, brothers didn't come home from the fight. Fortunes were lost even by some of those who signed that same declaration who were successful in their business, in their enterprise, as merchants or whatever they were doing, and their fortunes were lost because of the revolution. There's a cost for freedom, and as it's often said, freedom isn't free. Freedom has to be bought and paid for. And the same thing happens with our freedom in Jesus. He's God. He can do what he wants, what he chooses. He can announce forgiveness for us. But that forgiveness has to be bought and paid for. So Jesus sets us free by his death on the cross. It's the only reason the cross Exists in our faith and in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. Because there's no merit of our own that could bring us to God that we would earn or deserve this forgiveness that we have. The price for forgiveness was paid by his suffering and death. These are words found in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7. In him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Our forgiveness is through his blood that was shed. First John chapter one, verse seven says similar. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And Revelation chapter one. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. By his death. He died in our place. The wages of sin is death. The Apostle Paul writes that in Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's forgiveness, is grace, is mercy. It took the shedding of blood, and Hebrews chapter 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So according to the way God designed it, the way that he structured it, the way he planned it, the sacrifice had to be made for our forgiveness. And that price was paid by the Son of God. That's hard to imagine. That's hard to capture mentally. Like the son of God, the creator, the almighty. The one who endows us with these unalienable rights died in our place. That is grace. That is mercy. We're set free through his word and through his action. But freedom is fragile. Freedom is fragile. This is what I mean by that. We must protect our liberty. In our national sense, we understand that. There is still a need for military personnel to protect our freedom, our liberty. Men and women who still put themselves in harm's way on our behalf, serving around the world so that we can enjoy this freedom, this freedom to gather and express even in a virtual way if we need. There's freedom that we have that we can enjoy. Laws might feel like they put limitations and restrictions on us. But there's good laws. For the good of the order, for the good of society. Things like traffic laws, for example. You're not free to do whatever you want. There's COVID-19 related restrictions right now. And there's some discussion of what that feels like, and it feels like a restriction of liberty and freedom, which I understand. There's some idea that the Bill of Rights is even being impinged on us as people who want to gather for the free exercise of our faith. See, we must protect our liberty, we must guard Against the against tyranny, because none of that needs to come back. That's what people fought against more than two hundred years ago to set us free from the tyranny that we were under. It takes vigilance by all, or freedom can be eroded, is the point. And the struggle is real. In the in the national sense, we struggle to maintain that freedom and liberty. In our spiritual lives, we struggle against the flesh. These words are from Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. This is our struggle. For the desire, Paul writes, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You've probably felt that. You've probably lived that. You've probably experienced that. I know I have. That, that the desire that I have is against God's plan for me and the fleshly desires of this world and, and in my sinful nature. One want to pull me in a different direction from what God has offered and what God has given and what God has planned. There's a struggle, there's a tension that is pulled and drawn, and maybe, you've, maybe you feel it even right now. Paul gives a long list of, of sins, things that are, are common, things that maybe aren't quite as common, but it's not even an exhaustive list. We have to fight against these things, these works of the flesh. At the end of verse 21, he says, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about one-time mistakes, the, the falling into temptation. He's talking about walking into temptation and making ourselves comfortable. That's our struggle. We need to fight against that, not because we somehow through that struggle earn God's favor. That's not it. That's bought and paid for. That's done. But if we succumb to a a slavery, a slavery to sin or a slavery to the law, Paul's writing about both things at the same time. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That was our first verse in that reading. In that freedom, we do not submit, again, to a yoke of slavery if we try to submit ourselves to the law, that we're going to follow the law, we're going to keep the law, we're going to achieve somehow in ourselves this ability to be pure and holy. That's a a yoke of slavery. That sets us up for self-reliance and, well, I know myself. And I know if I relied on myself to earn God's favor, I would fail every day. Because I do. That's sin. That's our sinful nature. That's our choices that we make. That's within us, working against, having that that constant struggle. And I would fall short, as would we all. We can also fall into a, a yoke of slavery to sin, to sinfulness, where we abandon this idea that we should pursue holiness And take God's grace for granted. Those who submit to that slavery, to the flesh, or to the law, don't inherit the kingdom of God. But believers in Jesus, who are bought and paid for, who are forgiven and freed by his grace, struggle against sinfulness, because that's how God wants us to live, to live in sin freedom live in freedom what does it look like we are free to live within limits pull out a map you have a map of the united states there are borders there are lines these are limits the freedoms that we enjoy the liberty that we have is within these bounds right can't go across a border and and then say well look i have this freedom even in your country, because I'm an American. It doesn't really work that way, right? You go visit another country, you're now subject to the laws and the restrictions and regulations of that place. If you've traveled, you understand this. You know, you go to England, you better, you better be driving on the left side of the road. Just saying. I haven't driven in England yet. I've, heard, I've talked to people who have, though, who talk about what a challenge because it's so ingrained in us that you go to the right and now you have to go to the left. But that's, that's there. Our freedom and, and the way that we live here is, is our way. When we travel, when we leave our borders, we can't assume that our way of life goes with us. There are laws for the good of community, And God gives us laws for the good of community. Verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we don't use this freedom that we have, this forgiveness that we have been given, we don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh to engage in whatever behavior with this assumption that, well, we have this grace and forgiveness. That leads to lawlessness. No, instead, in our freedom, we use that through love to serve one another. In 1520, Luther wrote a little pamphlet on the freedom of a Christian. And it is... It it, it does a great job of capturing this whole idea. Luther wrote these words. A Christian man is the most free, Lord of all, and subject to none. That sounds great, right? That's like, this this is our national identity and ideal, that we are free, subject to none, Lord of all. This is freedom. But there's a second statement in what Luther wrote. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. That's the tension that gets pulled. We are free by the blood of Jesus, by his grace. True freedom from sin, from all the power of the evil one cannot separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We're free. We don't carry the burden of our sinfulness. We give that to our Lord who died in our place. We're free. We no longer have to walk around in guilt or shame because of what we have done or what we've failed to do. We're free. We're free to live our lives with the joy and the peace and the confidence and the assurance that he gives. We're free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But but we don't use that freedom for ourselves. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. You're free. Now go love your neighbor. You're free. Now go share that freedom. You're free. Who needs to be free? Who needs to know what you know? Who has a need that you can help supply? We use the law of God as our guide, and the Spirit guides us to follow. Further into Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Probably familiar. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control against against such things there is no law bear the fruit of freedom by being loving by sharing joy by being at peace by practicing patience extending kindness doing good things being faithful and gentle Exhibiting self-control, that's, that's the lives we aspire to. That's where our lives are being drawn by the power of the Spirit working in us. Those fruits of the Spirit yield a harvest. A harvest of, of freedom that can be enjoyed by us and by others that are with us, so bear the fruit of freedom. Live free. Live free from sin guided by the Spirit. Not that we would not sin, but the burden of our sin has been lifted. You are free. Live free, not bound by servitude, but free to serve God. Live free. Live free using freedom to bless others as disciples of Jesus, as followers in this faith, we live free by the power of Christ within us. Live free. You are free indeed. Amen.